Welcome to Old Walls House. It's your main man and host, Old Walls, back with you again this week. And man, do we have quite the episode coming your way today. We're talking the NFL divisional round, possibly the greatest NFL divisional round I can remember, maybe ever. We've got some fights to talk about. We're going to talk about a little bit about the golf. Uh, we got my passing thoughts. And we'll get a little preview for what we're going to be doing next week. But just a little bit of housekeeping before we get going. Thank you again, everybody, for listening last week. Thank you for coming back this week. I, I just want to say thank you so much. It, it's been so much fun to do this. So thanks for coming back and tuning in. If you could just please rate, review, comment, subscribe, whatever it is that you do on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or on Anchor, uh, that is awesome, and I appreciate it if you could do it. We're going to start off with kind of maybe a new little segment we're going to have going forward. And it's just kind of a good wrap-up of what my thoughts were as well and kind of where we're going with this episode. We're going to go to our 60 Seconds with MJ. So we're going to start with that, and then we'll come back. Old Walls House, 60 Seconds with MJ here, because quite frankly, it's all you want and all I'll need. Packers, Packers, Packers. <sighs> Credit to the Niners, again. But come on, Pack. You had Rodgers possibly for a final run, Devontae Adams leaving, $40 million over the salary cap next year, and that's what we get? Packers might be heading to the land I like to call the Dallas Cowboys land. Just average football at best, man. Um, I feel bad for you, Wally. I, I know how tough that can be. Also, possibly the best round of playoffs football ever. Uh, the Goats gone. Bills choke like the 90s. Packers go all Cowboys on everyone, and Bengals officially on the Bengals win everything train. Lastly, Flyers fans, need I say more, 11 in a row. Great sport weekend. Can't wait for next weekend and this week. MJ gone. Well, MJ, you stole the words right out of my mouth. So I guess without further ado, we're just going to get into it because everything MJ said there is going to get covered throughout the pod. So I won't break it down individually. We're just going to kind of roll with it, and you'll see it. And it hurts me deep in my soul, but we have to start here. The Green Bay Packers. I mean, I just don't know what to say. It's just disappointment after disappointment, choke after choke, finding ways to lose playoff games. And it, it's the same thing to me every year. I come into the season, I think... They're not that good. We're, we'll lose in the playoffs in the division round or make the conference championship and lose a heartbreak there. Then about halfway through the season, things are going well. Team's looking good. And I start getting my hopes up. I try and tell myself not to, but it's inevitable. I get my hopes up, and then come playoff time, my dreams are crushed crushed and this year was no different kind of thought this was going to be the last run at it Rogers talking about not even coming back then it kind of seems like he's out the door anyway I even got hope throughout the throughout the end of the year that he was coming back no matter what but no Packers lose to the 49ers in the playoffs something I've seen I believe four times now since uh, 2013 
So just just a disappointing end to what felt like a pretty good year. The special teams were a disaster. That's been an all-year thing. They've been terrible all year. And I've been saying to a friend of mine who's a Packers fan, they're going to cost us the game in the playoffs. And they did. They're not the only ones. We'll get there. But blocked field goal at the end of the first half, that could be the difference. And then obviously the blocked punt at the end of the game, just a disaster. And then, and then for the game-winning field goal that the, the 49ers made, they only had 10 people on the fucking field. I mean, come on. So, and like I said, blame to go around. I mean, how much of it is it on Rodgers? I think he completed down the field, not counting little screen passes and dump-offs. I think he completed, and I'm doing this just straight off memory. And my memory might be a little foggy from that night. Had a couple of adult beverages. I think maybe three passes down the field to somebody who wasn't Devontae Adams. He got Lazard late in the game to pick up a first down. They ended up stalling out on that drive. He had Aaron Jones at the end of the first half. He didn't even go out of bounds. It cost us a timeout. Rodgers ends up getting sacked and have to spike it. and then burn it. Ah, just, just a disaster. And then, I don't know if I missed one more, but he just wasn't going to anybody but Devontae Adams. So, I mean, there's that. He didn't play particularly well three and outs late in the game. So I think he has to eat some blame on this one. There have been plenty of playoff games in the past where I think he played incredible and the defense let him down. That was not the case. The defense did not allow a touchdown in this game. Only touchdown in this game by the 49ers came off that block punt. And it started out, the game started out with such promise Packers drove it right down the field, scored a great touchdown, great run, pass, mix, balance, good plays. You know, the defense comes out. Zadarius Smith, I believe it was his first play in the game, sacks Garoppolo. And then the Packers were getting to Garoppolo. I believe they sacked him four times, three times in the first half on third down. Uh, And they just looked like it was going to be a good game. And then it happened. Mercedes Lewis fumbles the ball, and the Packers just go into shutdown mode. The play calls got sketchy. It it felt like run, run, pass. And while we're on it, can we ban the shotgun inside handoff forever? As a Packer fan and a Penn State fan, I've had to watch way too many inside handoffs out of the shotgun get stuffed at the line. So please, Stop them forever. So, yeah, so Mercedes Lewis fumbles and the Packers just just crumble. I mean, Jimmy G didn't complete a pass in the first half. Didn't complete a pass. I mentioned, you know, Rodgers finds Jones, who doesn't go out of bounds. They have to use the last timeout. Rodgers gets sacked. They have to spike it. They can't do anything. And that field goal gets blocked. I mean... Gosh, and then, you know, the start of the fourth quarter, they get it down to first and goal on that Lazard catch on, on third down, and and they just don't they don't score. They have to kick the field goal. That could have ended it. Just It's just, it was just the most typical Packers playoff choke job, and I've seen them time and time again. We saw it last year with the Bucs. There's, 
you know, 2015 in Seattle in the conference title game. They get rolled two years ago by the Niners. It's just disaster after disaster. And yeah, it was just a team-wide, minus the defense. The defense was incredible. Other than that, total disaster by that team. LaFleur's got to take some blame. Rodgers takes some blame. Mercedes Lewis has to take some blame. The special teams takes a lot of blame. So it's just a disaster. Just a real heartbreak. I, I've been saying and saying and saying they're not that good. They're not that good. And then I get my hopes up, and then they kind of prove me right from my original thoughts. So where do the Packers go from here? Who knows? It's uh, They are $44 million over the cap. Only one team in the league has a worse cap position than them, and that's the Saints. Rodgers said he doesn't want to be part of a rebuild. I don't know what kind of cap magic they can still pull. They've been kicking this can down the road for like three years now. So we'll see what they can do with it. I will say I don't have the highest amount of optimism that Rodgers comes back. Because if they can't bring Devontae Adams back, I'm for sure he's gone. And like I said, there are a ton, a ton of people that are you know near the end of their, their stretch with the Packers. There's a huge list that you can look up, and it's, it's bad. I mean, it's linemen. It's key defensive players. It's Devontae Adams, as I said. So there are... You know, there's there's a big, big question mark on the Packers. And my feeling is if you can't get Pat if you can't kick the can down the road one more year and get Rodgers and bring back pretty much everybody, it's time for probably the full rebuild. Just roll with love next year. Go four and thirteen. Trade Rodgers away for a King's ransom, pick up some draft picks, maybe roll with love again the following year, go four and thirteen again. And just hope you can nail nail your starting quarterback for, for your future. So, Packers, disappointing again. Just a typical January in the old Walls house. Packers crushing my soul. What was not disappointing, however, was that Chiefs and Bills game. Good Lord, what a game. One of the craziest last two minutes and 30 seconds I've I've ever seen in my life. Just just crazy. I mean, right from the start, you could tell this was going to be a good one. Bills come out. They're setting the tone early. They go for it on fourth and two from the 50. Then they go for it on fourth and goal again and score. Then the Chiefs come right back, and Patrick Mahomes is out there looking like Mike Vick from Madden 2004. 49 rushing yards on their first drive to tie it up. Just just right out of the gate, it was like, this is going to be the game you thought it was going to be. They are who we thought they were, is just all that's popped in my head right there. Like, you thought that game was going to be good, and it was. <clears throat> the Bills had a great drive near the end of the second half to tie it up. And as a little bit of foreshadowing, Patrick Mahomes sneaks him up with 37 seconds left, gets them in the field goal pos- position, Butker wasn't able to make it. We go to half tied. <clears throat> and, you know, but like I said, just a just a hint of foreshadowing there, maybe. Mahomes came out, uh, picked up an, a nice little nifty play call on the fourth down conversion in the first drive of the second half. He kind of rolled out with McKinnon and had a little dump off. They won an eight-minute drive to uh, end up kicking a field goal, but it was just a kind of a just a plodding down the field kind of drive. 
They eventually go up 23 to 14. And I'm kind of thinking to myself, eh, this may be towards the end of the game. I actually, they actually moved out of my basement and just went up to my bed. I was like, I'll just watch the rest in bed. Next thing you know, Josh Allen's taking the ball deep, taking the top off the defense. 75 yards to Gabriel Davis, who had himself one hell of a game. I'll tell you what, glad I just, uh, my newest fantasy team has him on it. So that'll be fun next year, hopefully. Then they go on, the Bills, that is. The Bills go on a 17-play drive to take the lead. They pick up two fourth downs. Uh, Josh Allen has a scramble on fourth and four. And then the TD pass to, again, what do you know? Davis on fourth and 13. That puts him up 29-26. And this is where the game just gets out of control. Tyreek Hill... He's a fast person. He is a very fast person. Maybe the fastest in the NFL. I don't know if there, there's someone you can compare with it, but man, is he fast. 64-yard TD. He's giving him the peace sign on the way in. On a side note to that, I'm really glad that didn't get called for uh, taunting or whatever dumb rule they've been calling this year because that would have really been just a dumb, dumb call. But wow. That was a – you thought that they were going to have to kind of move it down the field. The Bills' defense was looking kind of good at that point, but, I mean, it's hard to keep up with Tyreek Hill. But then right back, Josh Allen leads an incredible drive. Just another great TD drive. 13 seconds left. Dumps it in to, what do you know, Davis again. I don't, you're thinking this is it. Bills win, 13 seconds left. They're up 36-33. There's no way. There's no way. The problem is Patrick Mahomes was on the other side of the field, and he got him right in the field goal position. They had timeouts, and they make the field goal to send it to overtime. Oh, just to circle back, questionable decision by the Bills not to swip kick it to try and peel some time off. Does it matter in the long run? I think it probably does. It doesn't eliminate the fact that Mahomes could could still have done that. But I think they probably should have squib kicked it. And, you know, the old saying is, you know, prevent D, all that does is prevent you from winning the game. There's an instance in another game that happened yesterday where a team wasn't in prevent D and a certain Cooper Cup got over the top. So I, I tend to agree with the prevent D prevents you from winning. And they should have tightened it up a little bit, but you got to cut them a little slack. They're just trying to think, knock it down. Monotly, you know, they're thinking they got to be throwing it deep with 30 seconds left, 13 seconds rather. So then we go to overtime. Chiefs win the toss, and they drive it right down the field. An incredible back shoulder throw to Kelsey for Mahomes. I mean, Patrick Mahomes, this is no secret. He's got the most talent in the league of any quarterback, and you could put him up there with – of any of the most talented quarterbacks in history. And the Chiefs win, and the Chiefs are hosting their fourth consecutive AFC championship game. Patrick Mahomes has never played a road game in the playoffs. He's played neutral site games in the Super Bowl, but never played a road game. And never lost a playoff game other than in the Super Bowl. So just really incredible kind of stat there. The one thing... You know, the takeaway at the end of this game is, you know, I know the saying is just make a stop, hold them to a field goal in overtime, and you get the ball back. 
But I, I think you got to reassess the NFL overtime rules, especially in the playoffs. The Bills, I, I, saying they didn't get a chance isn't the right thing, but their offense just sat on the bench, and you got to watch Patrick Mahomes go down. I mean, if nothing else than for the viewing, wouldn't you love to see Josh Allen trot back out there and see if he can match it? So I think the NFL overtime needs to be, to be looked at. But that was an incredible game. I feel for the Bills fans. I was rooting for you. I thought the Bills were going to circle the wagons, but they were unfortunately not able to stop the late Patrick Mahomes drives, and the Chiefs will be moving on to the AFC Conference Championship. And in that AFC Championship game, the Chiefs will be meeting the Cincinnati Bengals. The Bengals, who have not won a playoff game in 31 years entering this playoffs, decided they're just going to win a couple and go on to the AFC title game. They beat the Titans yesterday, uh, sorry, on Saturday. Not the greatest performance from Ryan Tannehill. He came right out, threw a pick, right this first first play of the game, he throws a pick. Titans end up holding the Bengals to a field goal. That would be a theme in this game, field goals. And, you know, the Titans looked okay earlier. They were getting to, to Joey B, Joey Burrow. He was getting tackled a lot in the backfield. Lots of sacks. I believe nine for the day. In one of kind of the early early decision-making moments and factors to this game, the Titans went for two after scoring a touchdown in the second quarter. They didn't get it. There was a penalty that moved the ball to the one, and the analytics crowd says, if you're ever on the one, go for two. They went. They didn't get it. Did it come back to haunt them? Possibly. There's a couple ways to look at that, and, you know, this game was tied right till the end. They would have been up one. So, if you're gonna if you're gonna live uh, live on that, uh, if you're gonna ride that horse, you got to ride it till it bucks you. You don't ride at all, right? And they have been riding that most of the year. So, like I said, a lot of sacks for the Titans. Five sacks in the first half. Really getting to Burrow. They gotta the the Bengals gotta shore up that line a little bit, and Burrow's gotta get rid of that ball a little bit more. It, that wasn't all on the line. He was hanging on to it. Sometimes you just gotta dump it off. Throw it at somebody's feet, throw it out of bounds, and just live to fight another day. In the second half, Joe Burrow did show some good chops, made some plays. He scrambled for a first in the third. He scrambled for a first in the third with about 10 minutes and 15 seconds left. And that first down led to the next play being a Joe Mixon touchdown. So did it a little bit with his feet. He did throw a lot in this game too. Uh, Burrow threw a big interception. Uh, with a minute 36 left in the third, led to a Titans touchdown two plays later. As we get towards the end of the game, the Titans were gonna go, were going for it on fourth and one, 7:15 left. Like I said, these guys are kind of the analytics crowd. They like to go for it on fourth. They like to go for two. I like that they stuck to their guns. It, it just didn't get. They got stuffed. I believe Henry actually even lost a couple yards and left the game open. For the Bengals, when the Bengals got the ball with a chance to do something, though, the Titans sacked Burrow for the ninth time. That was the ninth sack and made him force a punt. And then Ryan Tannehill's probably day from hell continued through his interception with 20 seconds left, leading to the Bengals' field goal to win the game. And just, just one thing that popped into my mind, 
as I'm watching this game. How is Eli Apple still in the NFL? Every time I'm watching a game with him, he's just getting burnt left and right. So the Bengals move on in kind of a sloppy game that was just a back and forth of some teams trying to trying to find ways to lose and the Bengals making just enough plays to win. So that is your gonna be your matchup in the AFC title game. The Bengals at the Chiefs. And the final game for us to talk about from this weekend was the early game yesterday on Sunday. The Los Angeles Rams heading to Tampa Bay to meet with Tom the Goat Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This game was a good one. Uh, got crazy late. Uh, early on, it looked like the Rams might just run them out of the building. Scored on their first drive, kicked a field goal. I did kind of think to myself, man, you don't want to be kicking field goals against Tom Brady. But the Rams, you know, were doing all right. They again got up 10 nothing, And we're just, it looked like they were taking it right to the Bucs. Uh, Brady did not look, look great early on. Uh, a person who did was Leonard Fournette. But other than that, there wasn't a lot of a lot of good things to say for the Buccaneers in that first half. And even as the game continued into the third quarter, the Rams were dominating. And it just looked like that was going to be an unceremonious end to Tom Brady's season. But then a man who has not fumbled all year, Cooper Cup, coughed one up with 245 in the third. And it was at that moment as you're watching the game, you're like, oh, no, is it going to happen? 27-3 this time, not 28. But you're like, man, late third, huge lead, here comes Tom Brady. They did manage to score. Uh, Tom Brady found Scotty Miller on fourth and nine, led to a four-net touchdown. Lead shrinking just a little bit. And then in a, just a kind of a crazy sequence a little bit later on, Vaughn Miller caused a sack fumble on Brady. And on the very next play, the very next play, they snap it right over Stafford's head. He's not even ready for the snap. Just a little miscommunication. And now Brady and the Bucks have even more life. Now it's 27-20. And now you're really thinking, oh, man, Tom Brady, he's the GOAT. He lives in this situation. And he, he's going to go get it. And sh just it, it's like Tom Brady is the good Lord himself. And he can dictate what happens on the football field. Two plays later, Cam Akers fumbled it. And now we got Brady with the ball again. And they start driving. And I thought this was a questionable spot and call late in that game with about 42 seconds left. They called it a, a fourth down. I thought, um, I believe it was Mike Evans had picked up the first. Either way, it doesn't matter. That next play on fourth and one. From the nine, Fournette took it into the house, tied it up, 42 seconds left. And like we were thinking later in the night, you're thinking, man, this is it. And Stafford actually fumbled the ball, got it back, and then he takes to Cooper Cup back-to-back -back plays and gets him in the field goal position. Cooper Cup gets behind the defense, and I mentioned earlier we talked about teams playing the prevent. Well, the Bucks they brought a little bit, a little bit of heat. And Cooper Cup got behind him, so they didn't go the prevent route, and they still got burnt. So they get him in the field goal position. Rams make the kick, and the Rams are going on. And you know, somehow, some way, Brady usually finds himself 
a way to claw back into it. The other team starts to give him some some opportunities and you know, he took advantage of them again. They just they started from a little too far back and there was just a little bit too much time on the clock and Matt Stafford was able to sling it down the field to Cooper Cup and you know, we talk about the Bengals never having a playoff win. Matt Stafford had never had a playoff win. This is the first time he'd ever played a divisional round playoff game. So, Matt Stafford and the LA Rams find a way to take down Brady and you got to imagine Brady's still coming back. I can't see any way he doesn't. There were some odd little, you know, articles and, you know, Twitter kind of rumors popping up that he was actually considering retirement, but I don't believe it. He's a, a possibly the MVP of the league. I think it's down to him and Rodgers. I can't believe he goes out like that. He's such a competitive guy. I think he's coming back, and I think they're going to, you know, they got they got hammered with injuries and things coming down the stretch late, so... I'd be shocked if Brady isn't back and and giving it another run to, to win another Super Bowl. So the conference championship matchups are set. The 49ers will travel to L.A. to play the Rams. Interesting little tidbit, the Rams hosting this week. If they win, they'll play their next two games at home, the Super Bowl being in L.A. this year. So they can finish out their season at home. The Rams are three-and-a-half-point favorites with an over-under of 46.5 in that game. I like the Rams. I like the Rams to win. I think the Packers laid such an egg against the 49ers that I think if the Rams just don't do the same, I think they beat them. I think they probably cover. Wouldn't be terribly surprised if the the Niners could cover that. Over-under? I mean, it's hard to say over watching the the performance of the 49ers against the Packers. But I don't think the Rams defense is quite as good. But in the same sense, they've got some good up-front linemen. And if Jimmy G was getting sacked against the Packers, I mean, that's not the strength of their defense. So if the Rams can get to Jimmy G, I, I'm I'm going to lean the under on that game. So good matchup there. And on the other side, you got the the upstart Bengals heading to the Chiefs. As I mentioned, this is the, the fourth straight home game for the Chiefs in the conference championship. And they are seven and a half point favorites and an over under of 54 and a half. Uh, I'm going to take the favorites again. I think the Bengals, well, it's a, a good little run for them this year. I think they're a year or two or maybe three away. Like I said, like I said last week, I like Joe Burrow. I think he's got good things ahead of him, but just a bit early. So I'm going to go Chiefs minus seven and a half. I'll lay the points over under. I could see that one going over, but that's a lot of points. 54 and a half. Screw it. I'll take the over. Life's too short to bet two unders in one day. So Chiefs and Bengals, Rams and 49ers. I got the Rams and Chiefs advancing to the Super Bowl. On to the golf world. We had the American Express out at La Quinta Golf Club this week. Hudson Swafford wins by two with a final total of 23 under. Not going to lie to you, I didn't watch any of this on this weekend. There was too much good football going on. But Hudson Swafford had himself a nice weekend. Uh, Scores of 66 on Saturday and 64 on Sunday. Wins by two. Finishes his last three holes. Eagle, birdie, par. Pretty solid finish there. Like I said, didn't watch any of this. There was too much good football going on. But did see a couple things. So, Good win by Hudson Swafford. John Rahm got caught on a little video uh, talking about his thoughts on the setup. 
and I believe I'm quoting this correctly, it was a fucking piece of shit setup leading to a putting contest bullshit. So John Rahm not happy with that setup. And th- to be fair, that is a, a kind of a, a fair assessment of how some courses for the PGA Tour can get. And especially when they have events like the American Express where there's a large amateur contingent that they're playing with them over three rounds. They kind of set it up so that those guys aren't bogging down play too much. I know it's pretty bad regardless, but that that's something that can happen there. So uh, one other note. And he finished ninth this week was Patrick Cantley. He shot an opening round 62 and then finished with rounds of 68, 72, 68. So not his best stuff on Saturday. And he probably wasn't super pleased with Friday or Sunday either. But he, a great opening round 62. And and I've been banging this drum for at least two or three, maybe longer, two or three years. I think this is the year Patrick Cantley wins a major. He played very well last year. He had a good showing in the Ryder Cup. Little misstep coming home this weekend, but it looks like he's got some good form going. So I, I like Patrick Cantlay to win a major this year. We'll see if it's the fourth or fifth or third or fourth or fifth, however many years that I've been wrong about that. But I'm staying on the Patrick Cantlay bandwagon. And next week we're headed to the Farmers. That's at Torrey Pines. So the West Coast swing really gets into it next week. The big boy golf tournaments are underway, so we'll be looking forward to putting a little bit more coverage into that one. I believe I saw that that's a Wednesday start and a Saturday finish to avoid running up with the NFL on Sunday, which will be nice. It'll give me something to watch on Saturday, and we can kind of devote some attention to that. Also this weekend, we had some fights. So we had a, a, a big UFC fight. Francis Naganu was in the, the octagon with Cyril Gan. And uh, a little boxing match as well. I uh, I ended up watching the boxing match with the gate with the Packer game going on. I wasn't going to buy the the UFC pay per view and try and watch both at the same time. And uh, the rest of the card didn't really speak to me too much. And the boxing was on free TV, so we'll start with the boxing. I watched that. Mark Magsayo upsets Gary Russell Jr., Mister One Time a Year Fighter. Uh, this was actually Gary Russell's first fight in two years, so he's fought once a year since 2015. Fought right before the pandemic in 2020 and then did not fight in 2021. So he was like 23 months of layoffs. He was getting beat pretty soundly. I had it in the first four rounds. And then in a little counter right, it looks like he popped his shoulder out. And he said he had some some lingering issues from that. And he ends up losing his title, the 126-pound title of the WBC version. Uh, in a majority decision, scores were 114, 114, 115, 113, and 115, 113 again. Uh, I had it a little wider, 117, 111. Uh, he didn't throw a right hand from the fourth round on. So Gary Russell Jr. upset by Mark Magsayo, who is a, a guy trained by Freddie Roach and promoted by Manny Pacquiao. So we'll see if Gary Russell Jr. comes back and fights again this year. If at all, he could be done. So on to the UFC. Francis Ngannou won a decision, not a knockout, over Cyril Gan. Uh, just from what I read on Twitter, it looked like he may have been down 2-0 going into the third and won three the last three rounds on everybody's card. I believe it was 48-47, 48-47 again, and then 49-46. So one person had a tie going into the third. But Francis Ngannou digs down deep, wins three rounds for a kind of a comeback win by decision. And kind of the the bigger story coming out of this is that Dana White didn't put the belt on him after the the fight. 
and then did not go to the press conference. So there's definitely a little rift between Naganu and Dana, and, and that and that's kind of been had been shown previously. Another thing was Joe Rogan was asking Naganu in the ring after the fight about moving to boxing. So uh, very interesting to see how that goes. I guess the rumors are that Naganu will be out of his UFC contract at the the end of the year in December ish. Be interesting to see what he does. Uh, personally, I think his his best you know career path going forward and staying relevant is going to be with UFC. I don't know that like a Bellator or somebody like that is going to sink a bunch of money into him. I don't know how much of a pay-per-view draw he is. Uh, so we'll kind of have to see how that goes. They've been talking about boxing with him. And, you know, Tyson Fury is saying, hey, come fight me. And he's kind of leaving it out there. Um, if you're Francis Ngannou, I'd say stay away from that. You're going to get smoked. I mean, if you're just going there to pick up a career high payday, which it would be, he was listed as getting six hundred thousand um, for this fight. That was his listed purse. I'm sure he made more on the back end. I'm sure he made into the six figures, but I'm sure they could dial up some crazy number for him to go fight Tyson Fury, go to the Middle East, or or put that over in the UK, and they do a pretty good box office number. But I think he gets smashed in that fight. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with Nagano going forward. So I think the the biggest thing coming out of it was after his you know kind of gutty win is. You know, what's next for Francis Naganu? And uh, speaking of Tyson Fury, there's been some rumors floating around that Anthony Joshua, the former unified heavyweight champion of the world, is talking about taking some step-aside money in the range of $20 million so that a Alexander Usyk Tyson Fury heavyweight undisputed fight could go down in the Middle East. Um, interesting. I don't know if that's all true, but it is being talked about. Tyson Fury would have to get out of a mandatory fight he has with Dillian White. That The purse bit has been pushed back three times now, I believe. So something to keep an eye on. Uh, $20 million for a step aside. That is a ton of cash. So there's got to be some big, big bucks sitting behind that Usyk Fury fight to, to pay for that. So uh, interesting little weekend in the fight game. And there'll be, there'll be good fights coming up here. I think there's some really good stuff coming in March. So we'll check back in on that stuff as it goes. On to the Flyers. These guys don't cut deep into my soul like the Packers do because I'm new to them. But And you heard MJ talk about this uh, in his 60 seconds with MJ. 11 straight losses for the Philadelphia Flyers. I wish I could say it's a new feeling, but they lost 10 games already once this year. So this is their second losing streak of 10 or more games, which is fun. And this week just had some, some all-time... Brutal ones. I mean, start the week with a 4-1 loss to the Islanders. There are some flip-flops in the schedule with all the COVID rescheduling. So they end up playing the Flyers again the next day. They lose 4-3 in a shootout. And they missed the goal nine times in the shootout. Nine times they could not put the puck into the net in the shootout. The Islanders only did it once, which is... Surprising in its own right that you can make one out of nine and win. So just an just a debacle of a loss there. And the uh, the Flyers have not scored a shootout goal all year. I believe four attempts in four shootouts for them this year, maybe more. Uh, I think four though. Four shootouts, zero goals. 
just outright, outright disaster. And Saturday, the uh, the Flyers jump out to a 2-1 lead versus the, the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets. And, I mean, 2-1, and they're losing 4-2 at the end of the first and then go on to lose 6-3. Just, just amazing ways and finding ways to lose hockey games. So, I think the Packers are going into the rebuild, and I think it's certain that the Flyers, if they're not in it already are going into a rebuild. I think you're going to see some some people get dealt at the uh, the trade deadline, is what uh, my inside hockey source tells me. He thinks Claude Giroux is, is probably going to get traded to a, a contender. So just, a, just an abysmal week for the Flyers and what's become an abysmal year. He never accused me of being a bandwagon hockey fan. I, uh, I came into the Flyers and... A little bit of promise early in the year has quickly, quickly taken a nosedive. So once again, not a bandwagon hockey fan. I'm in it. I'm in it for the long run. We're going to ride this out, and we're going to be there when the Flyers win the, the Stanley Cup. I don't know how long that'll take. It looks like it may take a few years, but when it does happen, Ole Walls will be watching on a TV somewhere cheering for the Philadelphia Flyers, who currently stink. So that's all we got for the Flyers update this week. Now just some passing thoughts on things I've seen and heard and read about the last week or so. Going to start with, caught the end of the uh, the Duke-Florida State basketball game. Duke lost at Florida State on Tuesday evening. That was Coach K's last game at Florida State. And I just find it kind of fitting that he loses his last game there. It feels like every other year or so, Florida State upsets a top-ranked Duke team, you know, top five, top ten team. I don't know if I'm just adding more in my head because I can remember a couple from years past, but it just felt like whatever, you know, every couple years that whenever Duke went down to Florida State that there was an upset brewing. And so I just find it fitting as a as a Carolina fan and a Duke hater that Coach K gets shown the door his last time in, in Tallahassee as a loser because he's been upset there so many times. And another thing I took away from that, was Leonard Hamilton, the coach of Florida State, is 73 years old, and he looks incredible. He looks like a 55-year-old man. So whatever Leonard Hamilton's doing, we all should probably drink from that same same fountain, that same well that he's got going on down there in Tallahassee because he looks incredible for a 73-year-old man. So big win by the Florida State Seminoles over Duke. Um, also last week, I had some Pizza Hut, and I had it at the restaurant. And let me tell you, Nobody out pizzas the hut. When you get pizza at the restaurant, they serve it in that 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 circular thing that it comes out in. I don't know if they cook it in that too, but man, that's it's good and the crisp is all flaky. And I'll tell you what, most things are better in the restaurant, but pizza hut pizza really steps up a, a notch or two or three when you eat it in the restaurant. It is just a delicious flaky crust. That cheese melts right off it. Get yourself a nice fountain soda. Mm, it just it also takes me back to being 15. Feels like it's just uh, times are good. You got no care, no worries in the world, and you're eating a nice Pizza Hut pizza. So Pizza Hut, nobody out pizzas the hut. Um, I had a buddy send this to me, and then I got looking into it a little bit. $600 transactions or more on your Venmos, PayPals, Cash Apps, whatever it might be are now required to be reported to the IRS. 
and when he sent it to me, I was like, man, I got to Google this and see what this is, where this came from. I didn't realize this. And the funniest thing was, when you're looking into it, you come to find out that it was in the American Rescue Plan Act, which was like the Coronavirus Recovery Act. And it's like, what in the hell does that have to do with coronavirus recovery? Just, you know, another little snaky thing politicians do so that the IRS can get their grubby hands on on more of your money. So, yeah, $600 transactions through those uh, online Venmos and things like that are now being reported to the IRS. So split those up, people. Yeah, and from the American Rescue Plan Act because that makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, also this weekend, saw a Masters commercial. Love when I start seeing the Masters commercial. The the Augusta music playing in the background just really gets a, a, a tingle going through the body. Um, so pumped for the Masters. It's my favorite golf tournament of the year. Nobody can tell me that there's a better golf tournament out there. I won't hear anything about the British because you can get up in the morning and what. The Masters is the best tournament. It gives you the best drama year in and year out. So super pumped for the Masters. Favorite golf tournament of the year. So really excited. Every time I see one of those, I get pumped. Also saw, uh, I believe it was posted today, that uh, YouTube either pulled or refused to post, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, an interview that Rand Paul did on the Clay and Buck show. Um, Rand Paul obviously kind of been railing against coronavirus restrictions and Dr. Fauci. Uh, so pretty interesting that YouTube won't even put up a, an interview with a sitting United States senator. So just noticed that. Um, another thing I saw tweeted by Clay Travis as well was that sports gambling stocks are way down. And I hadn't kept an eye on this at all, but it's kind of mind-boggling. So DraftKings uh, are currently trading at $17.80. That's just $0.04 cents above their 52-week low, which was $17.76. Their 52-week high was Seventy-four thirty-eight. So you do the math on how far that's down. Um, back in September, and they've been crumbling since like September, since about football season started. Back in September, they were north of sixty. Um, Rush Street Interactive. I don't know who this is, but uh, again, they climbed up and they actually started climbing in September and have come down a little bit more recently. But they've fallen down to eight thirty-eight. Um, so again, I don't know who they are to be included in this. Um, another one is points bet. They've been steadily declining since early this year, but they had a little peak towards the end of September, and then came falling down to three three dollars ninety cents. Um, just another just abysmal kind of fall. As I'm looking at these charts, uh, Penn National, another one. They were way up early in the year, and then around April or so, they started coming down. Had a little spike before September, and then have bottomed out. They're trading at thirty eight seventy eight which is you know just about 40 cents higher than their 52-week low. Their 52-week high was $142. I know I had friends that, that sold out at like 60 and 70 and were, were pissed that they hadn't hung on to it. So uh, in hindsight, you're better off getting rid of that now than you would have been uh, holding on to it. So uh, really interesting. I, I thought you know sports gambling was going to be just nothing but sunshine and rainbows for people. So very interested to see that it's – kind of tanking out on the stock side. Uh, be interested to kind of keep an eye on where that goes and if some people kind of get out of the business because um, you have seen, you know, uh, Penn very with very invested in Barstool. So I was shocked to see that. I thought that was something that was just going to kind of keep going up and up, and I not paid any attention to it until I saw that. Um, 
I'm into Cobra Kai. I think I'm three or four episodes in. Again, it's it's my uh, it's my treadmill show, so I don't really keep a good good idea of how many uh, episodes I'm at. I just hit play and I end up like stopping halfway through an episode and picking it back up. I really like it so far this season. Uh, check it out. Johnny Lawrence is is awesome in this show. the The bad guy from the old Karate Kid movies is is great in this show. So I would advise checking it out. Uh, we're still chucking on our James Bond experience. Just finished Tomorrow Never Dies on Friday. That is my my all-time favorite James Bond movie. I still have a couple more to watch that I haven't seen in a few years, so maybe one can overtake it. But Tomorrow Never Dies is one I loved as a kid. Uh, still love it now. Probably a little bit of nostalgia in there. Uh, my dad took me to see that in the movie theater, so might be a little nostalgia, but I don't care. I still love it. Ozark just dropped. Uh, this past week, so really excited to get into that. That's a great show. They left that in an incredible position. I won't get into any spoilers or anything like that, but really excited to get back into Ozark. Uh, we'll have a little bit more time here as there's just two football games next weekend, and then we're off for a couple weeks. And another one that was big news, um, the United Kingdom is done with all sorts of, they're done with uh, vaccine mandates, COVID restrictions, mask mandates, I believe. That's all done. Um, very interesting that that happens just after Boris Johnson got got caught, that he was out partying in the middle of the highest restrictions that he put out. So UK done with vax mandates, mask mandates, things like that. Be interesting to see if any of the other uh, kind of Western-style countries uh, follow suit. So that was all I had in my passing thoughts for this week. So let's uh, let's work to close this thing up. All right, let's close this up. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in again. I appreciate it. If you've made it this far, thank you so much for staying with us and staying until the end. We will be back next week. I like this kind of Monday thing, I think. So look for me again on Monday evening. Have it ready for your Tuesday drive to work. Next week, we're going to be talking NFL Conference Championships. Going to talk a little bit more about the golf next week, probably. Uh, it's a big boy event. And with it ending on Saturday, again, I believe I could be totally wrong saying this, but with it ending on Saturday, I'll be devoting a little more time to watching that. Also next week, Royal Rumble, WWE Royal Rumble. So very excited for that. That is my favorite WWE event of the year. I have almost no knowledge of what's going on in WWE right now. Pretty much what I know is what I see on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, Boomer has made his appearance known. He's got a ball that he wants to squeak and say hello to everybody. So next week, conference championships, tour, uh, the Farmers at Torrey Pines, WWE Royal Rumble, and there will be a guest for the Royal Rumble review portion next week. So tune in for that. And again, thank you so much, everybody, for listening. I appreciate it. I'm having so much fun doing this, and we'll see you guys all next week. This has been Old Walt's House.